Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been about a year since you first heard that song on this broadcast. You probably have heard it for the last time. I got my second, my second shot. I got my second shot beginning of this week. So by a week from today, I won't be, I won't be self-isolating. I'll be out in the... I'm not going to go all Greg Abbott on your on your uh, Heine, but I will be out. I think I'm going to go actually to the store this week and uh, touch my own fruit for the that I'm purchasing for the first time in a year. That'll be exciting. You know, other people can buy your your vegetables and even your meats. You got to buy your own fruit. That's I'm. It's a personal thing. You know, you may be more tolerant of fruit that doesn't meet your personal specifications than I am. I just that's how I, that's how I roll. Uh and speaking of the store brings us to the subject of plastic containers. Of course, the year of COVID has been a boon for the plastic container industry. All that takeout's got to get to your house somehow. And um wax paper ain't going to do it or they're not even doing it. They might do it, but they're not doing it. So, uh, yes, there's a lot of plastic stuff, a lot more in circulation this year as a result of old Mr. COVID. And uh, this morning I was treated to a a commercial from, I guess, the plastic container industry or the plastic bottle industry informing us that uh, new technology has made it possible for the recycling of more plastic bottles, turning them into new plastic bottles, which can turn into newer plastic bottles and so forth. And it was a a purchase on, I think it was CNN, which is a national network, buy. Some money changed hands. And your incentive to turn in the bottles for recycling is you feel better. And I just have a word for the plastic bottle industry. Why don't you guys talk to the if they're still around, the uh, execs at the glass bottle industry and find out how they got people to turn in bottles for recycling. They paid us five cents a bottle in uh, that ancient time. So it would be maybe, what, 50 cents, quarter now per bottle, per plastic bottle, and put a big sticker on the front of the bottle, recycled or returnable, so people had that in in their minds as they prepared to throw it in the trash. But, you know, if if getting paid to do something is good enough for the um, CEOs of the plastic bottle industry, it's probably good enough for their consumers. Hello, welcome to the show.
From New Orleans, Louisiana, home of New Orleans, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of Le Show, the, the one that precedes my first visit to the store. And now, news of the godly. And no, I'm not telling you which store, unless they pay me. A priest who, for the bottles, a priest who live-streamed exorcisms aimed at rooting out what he, former president, of the United States, you know who I mean, and some of his supporters have falsely claimed was widespread voting fraud in the presidential election. That priest, who live-streamed exorcisms to deal with that problem, has left a Roman Catholic diocese in Wisconsin, the Diocese of Madison. That's college town. Go figure. It said it and the Reverend John Zulsdorf, 
I said Zulsdorf reached a mutual declaration on his departure. He's going to relocate from the diocese, quote, to pursue other opportunities, unquote. That's from the diocese's statement. Opportunities like being somewhere else. That's the opportunity. The bishop is met, grateful to the Reverend Zulsdorf for his faithful support of the diocese's seminarians and priests. Thanks, them for his many, thanks him for his many years of steadfast ministry and wishes him the best in his future endeavors. Just endeavor them somewhere else. That, that, not, that was not part of the statement. He didn't immediately respond to uh, a request for comment from the I think the bum, uh, from the Associated Press. He claimed he had permission from the bishop, Donald Hying, Hying to conduct the exorcisms, but uh, the bishop said he didn't give Zulsdorf permission to conduct exorcisms related to partisan political activity, rather approved an exorcism for, quote, alleviation from the scourge of the coronavirus epidemic. That's why you exercise. They'll exercise every day. Dateline Dun Dublin, unmarried mothers in British-ruled Northern Ireland suffered cruel treatment in homes run by the Protestant and Catholic churches, a report found recently, according to Reuters. That confirms that abuse for which Ireland apologized earlier this month, uh, earlier this year, actually, was rife on both sides of the border, Ireland and Northern Ireland. Arlene Froster, first minister in the Northern Ireland government, said the accounts of cold and uncaring treatment were truly harrowing, and the separation of mothers from their children a terrible legacy. What do we tell the children? Your mom's gone. The research carried out by a team of university academics found that the mortality rate for babies born in institutions in Northern Ireland was not as high as the 15% found by inquiry into the Irish Republic. In part, this was because women did not tend to stay as long after they gave birth, but it found that women, including victims of rape, incest, and other crimes, were often cruelly treated and put under severe pressure to give up their children for adoption. These were in homes run by both the Protestants and the Catholics. Oh, the Protestants and the Catholics could be friends. Southern Baptists, speaking of which, are currently grappling with the influence of partisan politics and the treatment of women, people of color within the church, according to the Nashville Tennessean. These major tension points contributed to Beth Moore, a um, noted pastor within the Southern Baptists to not be within the Southern Baptists anymore. She's leaving. She's announced that. Uh, there's also black pastors who have announced that they're cutting ties with the convention. Moore, an advocate for victims of sexual abuse who received pushback for criticizing former president's treatment of women, told the Religion News Service she's no longer a Southern Baptist, ending her longtime partnership with Lifeway Christian Resources, which is the convention's publishing arm as well. Evangelical women have long embraced Moore, not literally. She founded Living Proof Ministries in Houston. Lifeway said it will still sell her work. You know, there's a buck there. Moore cited white evangelicals confounding embrace of the former president among her reasons for going, according to the Religion News Service. And of course, this is now after he's out of office. It, you know, these Great Awakenings take a while. Sleep kind of overhang. What I felt this week from the uh, second shot, not complaining, proud of it, bragging, bragging all over the place. 
but you if you're going to get the second shot and i you know um this week again there was popularization of the theory that in a environment of arguable scarcity that is to say the vaccines up to now we should discourage people from getting the second shot on time instead spreading that shot to more people getting their first shot so to vaccinate more people to uh, as one spokesperson said prevent more deaths and then you you um now this may be dated there may be new th- this was a um senator who was also a doctor i would take his advice on votes in the senate but but anyway he he was on tv on CNN, speaking from his car. And I hope he doesn't practice medicine in there because I will complain. So here's the deal, as I see it. And, of course, it's my show. Um, All the randomized clinical trials conducted on the Pfizer (laughs) Pfizer and Moderna vaccines covered protocols in which the second shot was administered either three or four weeks after the first. To my knowledge, there has not been a randomized clinical trial of delaying the second shot for 12 weeks, as they're doing in the UK now, or longer. You know, when we get it, when they we get it, when the train comes in with them, we, I believe, have been taught over the last little while, if not longer, that the gold standard for medical evidence is randomized clinical trials. But now a doctor in his car says, "No, no, there's plenty of other stuff." Um, I'm very glad I got my second. <laughs> I'm bragging. And, um, you know, I can give you no other advice than follow the best medical evidence available or follow the doctor in his car. Follow that. Follow that car. And now news of the warm, won't you? Will you get the second shot of this? New research shows 64 countries cut their fossil fuel CO2 emissions during the period between 2016 and 2019. But the rate of reduction needs to increase just tenfold to meet the Paris Agreement aims to tackle climate change. Just ten times more. You know, like 50 cents to return a bottle now. Tenfold. The first global stock take by researchers at the University of East Anglia, Stanford University, and the Global Carbon Project examined progress in cutting fossil CO2 emissions since the Paris Agreement. The results show the need for far greater ambition ahead of another important UN climate summit coming up in Glasgow in November of this year. It's called COP26. So we're all going to cop a 26, I guess. The annual cuts of 0.16 billion tons of CO2 are only 10% of the 1.2 billion tons that are needed globally every year to tackle climate change. While emissions decreased in 64 countries, they increased in 150 countries. That's more. That's more countries. How did that happen? I'm with the names of those countries right here, right now. But... Instead, I'm stuck here with you. 
I'll get the I'll get the names of the countries later. Global emissions grew by 0.21 billion tons of CO2 per year during that period compared to 2011-2015. The scientists' findings are published in Nature Climate Change, unless that's where I'll be looking up the names of the countries. In 2020, confinement measures for, because of COVID and COVID, the uh, pandemic twins, cut global emissions by 2.6 billion tons of CO2, about 7% below previous year levels. But the researchers say 2020 is a pause button. It cannot realistically continue while the world overwhelmingly relies on fossil fuels, and confinement policies are neither a sustainable nor desirable solution to the climate tr- crisis. Yeah, and I was thinking just the opposite, that we learned to do this because of COVID, and then we could just keep it up until we get the climate thing under control. And then party. The American West is in the grips of a consistent 40-year decline in butterfly populations, a trend researchers have uh, said can be called, uh, can be culled, a trend can be culled? I don't think so. A trend that can be reversed, maybe, or controlled using expanded conservation as climate change makes the region, the American West, increasingly drier and warmer. Butterfly populations across the West have declined 1.5% annually over the last four decades, so they're consistent. That's according to a study published in the journal Science. Let's follow science, if not the science. The figure mirrors rates of decline for other insect populations around the world, according to the study. team of researchers at the University of Nevada, Reno, that must be fun, have set out to analyze the decline of butterfly populations across relatively arid, undeveloped areas of the West, as opposed to the previous studies, which focused on more developed, densely populated regions. Researchers and volunteer citizen scientists closely examined butterfly populations across 70 sections of the region. They got an average of 10 years of data per site on over 250 species. They also considered the impact of land use policies and the rates of climate change for each regional section. The data, representing butterfly species across the western U.S. between 1977 and 2018, revealed that butterfly species decline is attributed to autumn months, that are made increasingly warmer by climate change. Instead of focusing on a single species, the findings suggest grouping conservation efforts based on species-shared habitats or host plant preferences. The uh, co-author said in a statement that understanding each region's annual climate will supplement the tailored approach to conservation. Save the butterflies, won't you, ladies and gentlemen, while you're at it? The rate at which ice is disappearing across the planet is speeding up, according to new research. The findings also reveal that Earth lost 22, uh, 28 trillion tons of ice between 1994 and 2017, and it did not spill under the bed, somewhere equivalent to a sheet of ice 100 meters thick covering the whole of Britain, where they know what a, no, they don't know what a meter is either. The figures were published by a research team the first to carry out a survey of global ice loss. Tom? Global ice loss. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. Using satellite data, a team led by the University of Leeds found that the rate of ice loss from the Earth has increased markedly within the past three decades, 0.8 trillion tons per year in the 1990s to 1.3 trillion tons per year a couple years ago. Ice melt across the globe raises sea levels, of course. That's where the melting water 
Ultimately, water goes and increases the risk of flooding the coastal communities and threatens to wipe out natural habitats the wildlife depend on. Well, let the wildlife do something about it. Why? They're just sitting there. The findings of the research team, published in the European Geosciences Union's journal, The Cryosphere. Cry, cry, cryosphere. It shows that overall it's been a 65% increase in the rate of ice loss. So, increase in loss over the 23-year survey. Mainly driven by steep rises in losses from the polar ice sheets that we know about in Antarctica and your Greenland. News of the warm. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a copyrighted feature. This broadcast is what it is. And uh, while we're worrying about creatures, news of the bees, pollinating insects such as bees are crucial in agriculture. New research revealed recently found that home gardens in cities and towns are crucial to those insects, providing an average of 85% of their food. Grow a garden, save a bee. A study was published in the Journal of Ecology Researchers from the University of Bristol and other universities in the UK detailed their findings. The importance of urban flora. Scientists examined three home gardens, discovered they produced a daily average of a teaspoon of ambrosia, a high-carbohydrate liquid in flowers that bees and other pollinators eat because they're hooked. Just one teaspoon is enough to feed thousands of bees who in turn help maintain such gardens. Well, I'd invest in teaspoons. Me. We expected private gardens in towns and cities to be a plentiful source of nectar, but didn't anticipate the scale of production would be to such an overwhelming extent, said the lead author, also an ecologist. Our findings highlight the pivotal role those gardens play in supporting pollinators and in promoting biodiversity in urban areas across the country. So, plant a garden, save a bee. An insecticide used to control pest infestations on squash and pumpkins significantly hinders the rep- reproduction of ground-nesting bees. I didn't even know there were ground-nesting bees. I learned something doing this program, which is where to park. Valuable pollinators they are for many food crops, according to a study at the University of Guelph. Guelph. Ghibelline University did not respond. The first ever study of pesticide impacts on a ground-nesting bee in a real-world context found female hoary squash bees exposed to a neonicotinoid insecticide, those female hoary squash bees dug 85% fewer nests, collected less pollen from crop flowers, and produced 89% fewer offspring than unexposed bees. Because they're not making nests and not collecting pollen, they can't raise offspring, said the uh, researcher. That means that insecticide or populations exposed to that insecticide are going to decline. Many species of ground-nesting bees, including the hoary squash bee, are responsible for pollination of numerous fruits, vegetables, and oilseed crops in North America. Solitary ground-nesting bees make up about 70% of bee species. So forget your, your swarm and your hive. It's a really important ecological group, and it's also really important in crop pollination said the researcher, but these ground dwellers are often overlooked when it comes to evaluating the impacts of insecticides on pollinators. The research was published recently in Scientific Reports, 
probably seems the obvious place to publish it. News of our friend the be- friends the bees. They're just feeding us, that's all. So, ladies and gentlemen, you may have noticed, I, I, I almost invited you to notice, that the practice of this program to, in many weeks during the past four years, skillfully avoid the use of the name of the then president because every other medium was chock full of mentions of his name. That's continued right right through to this moment, this year, I think, with one exception, maybe two. But um, now, as could have been predicted, especially with um, his banning from Twitter, the uh, media attention devoted to Donald Trump has shrunk pretty impressively to the point where what would have been a major headline news story in the past, let's say, in December, was kind of ignored this week. So I got to have to I got have to mention his name. A uh, the Wall Street Journal of all places which uh, reported on this in January and we didn't notice it then. There's a recording of President Trump calling the chief investigator of the Georgia Secretary of State's office. Remember, we all, uh, the Washington Post already made public a phone call from Trump to the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, to uh, now, now, now revealed, now we're, we learn, that he also called the chief investigator in Raffensperger's office to look for fraud during an audit of mail-in ba- ballots in a uh, phone call he made to her in late December. Six-minute call reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. Trump repeatedly said he won Georgia. Something bad happened. When the right answer comes out, you'll be praised, he told the chief investigator, Francis Watson. The Washington Post actually reported on this call in January. We didn't notice. Other things were going on in January. This is the first time the recording has been released. It was released this week. So that was the news through uh, last night when through sources I can't reveal, I was in receipt of a recording of yet another such call. Nautilus Water, this is Sherman. Mr. Sherman. Uh, yes, sir, who's calling? You know, Mark Meadows, he's from uh, down there. He suggested I call you. Oh, yes, sir. I delivered uh, water to his house for many years. Yeah, yeah, that's what he told me. Mark's the best. This is President Trump calling. Mr. President, I'm honored. Some people would like to call me Mr. Former President, but you you and I know that's not true, right? Right? Uh, well, people call people lots of things, sir. Mark said you were as sharp as a tack. So first of all, Mr. Sherman, Happy New Year. I know we're a couple days away, but like they say in Brooklyn, curtain hurt, right? Thank you. But look, Mark found out you deliver water to the Registrar Voters Office in Gwinnett County. Uh, uh, we, we call it Gwinnett, sir. Right, right. This is the kind of help I'm looking for. Mr. Gingrich represented us for many years, but uh, you, you probably know that. Yeah, but I'm glad to hear it from you. So... If, I guess if uh, that registrar of voters is anything like any place else, uh, the place where the water goes might uh, just be near where they store supplies. 
I, I guess you could say that, sir. Paper and uh, printing ink, maybe even ballots. Oh, I know there's lots of papers and boxes near the water machine, sir. Yes, sir. Great, great. That's just great, Mr. Sherman. And I know you must be very busy, sir. I, I, I hate to... No, you're not doing anything, Mr. Sherman. I'm doing the doing, okay? okay. So, uh, uh, if they were throwing away ballots in that office, you might not know about it, but uh, you might see some of the things they threw away. I mean, that's that's just common sense. I suppose. You know, they, they figure you're busy with the water and the bottles, and you're not really paying attention to the ballots, if they were ballots, right? Right. And uh, they'd probably be still keeping the ones they threw out until after January 6th. I mean, that makes sense, right? I, I guess so, Mr. President. You would know better than I. So look, can I call you Vernon? Sure, I mean... And you've got access to that office whenever you need to deliver more water? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I have a card key. That... Great, great. That's just great, Vernon. You know, Mark said that you could really help us right now. I mean, regardless of party, uh, who you voted for, if you've even voted, you'd like to help your president, right? <laughs> Actually, I, I, I didn't vote this year. My sister's been ill. Oh, tell I... her she's got my warmest condolences, will you? Okay. Anyway, Vernon, is there any chance you could stop by that office and uh, just, you know, of course... Drop off some water, and while you're there, since I'm I'm sure they're taking a Christmas off, you could check all those papers that they're throwing out come Monday just to see if there are any ballots in there. And if so, you know, take them out with you and, and call Mark. He'd send people right over, take them right off your hands. And if they're what we think they are, uh, Sherman, you'd be a hero. You'd be a hero. I mean, think of it. You saved the country. You saved the election, really, just by dropping by. Maybe tonight even. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if my uh, card key is valid on weekends, to be honest, sir. Good. Good, Vernon, always be honest. Well, but uh, there's only one way to be sure, right? You go down there in a little while, test it out. If it doesn't work, no problem. You go on with your life. But if you can access the premises, then you could do your favorite president a real solid. I'll tell you the truth. I'm not always the most generous person. My kids will tell you that. Oh, I know about kids. I've got... But the people who do me a solid... I'll let you in on a secret. The door is always open. You understand me, right? Like an open door. You know, premium weekend at any of the Trump resorts, that sort of thing. My kids run them. But, you know, one call from me, things happen. Well, uh, I'd have to take my own car. And I, I, I wouldn't have any bottles, sir. I don't have access to the company vehicles during off-duty time. So, so, but, so you'd be kind of obvious just waltzing in there? Is that what you're saying? Kind of, sir, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't be... No, 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 that's okay, Vernon. It's always good catching up with you in any case. Mark sends his best. Okay, well... Você devia ser Sem 
mais de mim Você não quis deixar que eu falasse de tudo Tudo que você podia ser Na estrada Você ainda pensa e é melhor do que nada Tudo que você consegue ser This is the show from New Orleans Now. News of a smart house. Our house is a very, very, very smart house. Well, it seems that we're now really solidly in the business of coming up with solutions to problems that don't exist. Here's a look at one new smart home tech trend. JennyCan. JennyCan scanner. It attaches directly to your garbage can, ladies and gentlemen, and automatically scans the barcode of the item you're throwing away. So you have to be sure that everything you throw away has a barcode on it or else you've really wasted your money on the JennyCan. And what it does, you see is it scans that barcode and adds it to your smart grocery list. Out of ketchup? No need to make a mental note for later. Jenny can already put it on your list. Need more bananas? Just hold the peel over the scanner until the Jenny can asks you what item you want to add because it doesn't know what a banana is. You see, it's, it's smart, but it's not that smart. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what I'm saying. Um, ooh, I think there's another. Is there another? Oh, yeah, the smart toilet bidet. I don't know what it is by night, but it bidet. Uroto. <laughs> smart toilet bidet. Bidets are supposedly all the rage after the toilet paper fiasco of uh, last year. This is a bidet. You'll want for many years to come. Use the wireless remote control <laughs> for its various spray features. Water pressure, temperature, warm air dryer, and LED night light. <laughs> yeah, so you can finally see your butt in the dark. It also allows different users to save their preferred settings and hackers to screw with them all. Let's get out of the house quickly, and into the rest of the smart world. Swiss Formula E, you know about Formula E? It's uh, car racing for electric cars. Uh, driver Eduardo Mortara ended up in the hospital after a software error led him to drive into a safety wall. So-called because <laughs> it's a wall. 
This is from the Register, the tech journal in England. This was at the Formula E World Championship in Saudi Arabia, where death is always possible, no matter what. A statement issued by Twitter, Twitter, the Mercedes EQ Formula E team, blamed the code governing the race car's braking system. It's designed so that if the front brakes fail, the rear brake system is activated as a failsafe. In this instance, an incorrect software parameter that meant the rear brake system didn't activate as intended, and the failsafe did not kick in. Mercedes did not immediately respond to a request to provide more details about the nature of the software bug. And I bet the, the driver is real happy that he signed up for that deal. United States telephone company Verizon is advising customers to not access its 5G network mere days after spending $45 billion on new radio spectrum for 5G. The reason? Because it's too hard on their phone's battery life. In a since-deleted tweet, Verizon said, Are you noticing your battery life, is br- battery life is draining faster than normal? One way to help conserve battery life is to turn on LTE. Phone using the latest connectivity tech would automatically switch between 3G, LTE, and 5G, depending on what's available. What Verizon suggests would see customers explicit, explicitly direct their phone's network to LTG, even if 5G is available. The exact amount of power a 5G uses varies from handset to handset. Some benchmarks seen by the British Tech Journal of Register show a 12% increase in battery consumption on the 5G-capable iPhone compared to the previous LTE-only version. So phone vendors have started making devices with larger batteries, which means your phone has to be larger and heavier, as well as faster wired and wireless charging. And we learned today... From Verizon, very self-same Verizon, that only the ultra-premium customers of Verizon's interconnecting services will get the fast flavor of 5G. The vast majority of Verizon's customers using 5G will get the slow version, which is no faster than 4G. But you'll be using more battery, so it evens out. The dream of autonomous vehicles is that they can avoid human error and save lives, but a new European Union Agency for Cybersecurity report has found that autonomous vehicles are, quote, highly vulnerable to a wide range of attacks, unquote, that could be dangerous for passengers, pedestrians, and people in other vehicles. Folks on the 64th floor, they're safe. Attacks considered in the report include sensor attacks with beams of light. We now know from recent reporting that uh, in heavy rain, the LiDAR sensors in autonomous vehicles can have their light bouncing against raindrops and see those as objects to be swerved and avoided in uh, a driving situation. Uh, Overwhelming object detection systems is another hack possible, the Europeans report. Back-end malicious activity. You want the uh, LED light on for that. And adversarial machine learning attacks presented in training data or in the physical world. The attack might be used to make the AI blind for pedestrians by manipulating 
the image recognition component in order to misclassify pedestrians. This could lead to havoc on the streets as autonomous cars may hit pedestrians on the road or crosswalks. According to the report, the absence of sufficient security knowledge and expertise among developers and system designers on AI cybersecurity is a major barrier that hampers the integration of security in the autonomous sectors. The range of AI systems and sensors needed to power autonomous vehicles, at least three different sensing systems in most of them, increases the attack surface area, that is to say the area vulnerable to outside attackers. To address vulnerabilities, its authors say policymakers and businesses will need to develop a security culture. Feel safe seeing Carmen across the automotive supply chain, including for third-party providers. The report urges car manufacturers to take steps to mitigate security risks by thinking of the creation of machine learning systems as part of the automotive industry supply chain, or in the case of Elon Musk, thinking about Mars. It is, ladies and gentlemen, a smart, 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 smart world. Now, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Dayline, Oklahoma City. Yes, it's in Oklahoma. State Representative Brad Bates, uh, sorry, Brad Bowles, he's a Republican, used the term colored to refer to babies during a heated debate on abortion bills in the House of Representatives. Who does he think he is, Prince Philip? As a black woman who's old enough to be his mother, I'm shocked that someone is using the term colored in 2021, said the chair of the Oklahoma Democratic Party, Alicia Andrews. Color is not part of the, your normal lexicon, Andrews said. If that's who we have representing us in Lincoln, the capital of Nebraska, I'm a little bit nervous and scared. They demanded an apology, and they got one. Bowles said, through the slip of the tongue, I said a word that was not what was it intended to be, so I apologize for any of the members of the House or that listened online that I may have offended. A may apology. Yes, I know. You can say people of color, but you can't say colored people. That's that's what it is. High-profile local chef in Indianapolis, I know, that sounds like an oxymoron, has issued an apology for a recent Instagram post he maintains was a joke. Local members of the Jewish community, Jewish community in Indianapolis, ladies and gentlemen, described as dangerous anti-Semitic rhetoric. Brooks owns a restaurant called Milk Tooth, gained national prominence, it reopened for dinner in, in, in dining service with a new menu. It included Jewish deli-inspired items, including knishes and matzo ball soup. He uh, posted a message to his personal Instagram account that he said it was a response to allegations he was, quote, appropriating Jewish cuisine. Brooks is Jewish. According to the Indianapolis Star, the Post jokingly said, quote, if I'm not really Jewish then how would I be so familiar with the taste of children's blood? Unquote. He's since deactivated all his social media accounts. After backlash from members of the local Jewish community, he posted an apology. I would like to formally apologize and share my regret for the statement I made last week on Instagram. 
I sincerely was shocked that anyone could interpret them as anything but commentary and mockery of the ridiculous nature of anti-Semitism and racism as a whole. But I acknowledge that my words shocked and hurt members of my community, locally and nationally. He said, I think it was pretty clear I was showing the ridiculousness of anti-Semitism, or at least trying to. That's the danger. Intent is lost in social media. Nuance is lost. Members of the community say they appreciate the apologize publicly. They maintain blood libel is never a proper subject for jokes. Aspiring stand-ups make note. The chief of TEPCO, the Tokyo Electric Power Company, apologized to victims of the Fuk nuclear disaster. Happy 10th anniversary of Fuk, everybody. Added that the nuclear power generation system will still be needed to provide compensation to victims and to clean up the mess. We're deeply sorry about having caused an enormous burden on and raising concerns among people in Fuk Prefecture and the public at large, he said. He's, he is Tomoaki Kobayakawa, president of TEPCO's holding company. Yeah, he's holding. In an interview with the Asahi Shimbun. We need to use nuclear reactors to a certain extent, he said. TEPCO decided to decommission all of its reactors in Fuk Prefecture, only one plant in another prefecture. That's the largest, one of the largest in the world. But he was sorry about the thing. Clueless actress turned conservative commentator Stacey Dash is walking back her previous support of the former president. She told the British... (laughs) newspaper, the Daily Mail, in an interview this week that the Capitol riots were a turning point for her political opinions. When that happened, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm truly done. Because senseless violence of any kind I denounced what happened on January 6th was just appalling and stupid. She's best known for playing Dion in the teen rom-com Clueless. She has since served as a political commentator for Fox News. A natural Move, looking back on some of the political stances she took, Dash now reflects she made a lot of mistakes due to anger, realizes the feeling that that emotion is unsustainable and will destroy you. I've lived my life being angry, which is what I was on Fox News. I was the angry conservative black woman. And at that time in my life, that's, that's who I was. There are things I'm sorry for, things that I did say that I should not have said the way I said them. They were very arrogant and prideful and angry. And that's who Stacy was. But that's not who Stacy is now. Stacy's someone who has compassion. Stacy is someone who speaks about herself in the third person. Stacy is the new Bob Dole. She didn't say that. If there's anyone felt that way about me, like I've judged, then I apologize because that's not who I am. Who am I? State? No, she didn't, didn't go in to repeat it. Speaking of who is he, who are they? Geraldo Rivera. Remember that name? Remember that person? Remember the person with that name? He uh, blazed like a comet across the media this week with a nearly 24-hour stint as a possible Senate candidate in Ohio. It came uh, to an end, as he explained on Thursday, during his regular appearance on Hannity. So that's where he's been hiding. He posted a tweet saying he was pondering making a run. Then he explained that he and his wife, Erica, we're thinking about it. Our dreams got ahead of our plan. You know, I regret that we went public with this before we had 
formulated an idea, you know, anything more than an idea. I apologize for it, said Geraldo. I'm not running for the Senate seat in the great state of Ohio. It's a daunting task, and I'll leave it to a younger man. Sean, I thought I could do good as a Republican moderate, he told Sean Hannity. And now Al Capone is searching for Geraldo's vault. Dateline Norman, Oklahoma. Oklahoma again in the news. Norman Public Schools dropped the announcing team broadcasting their high school's girl basketball games after racist comments made on an open mic during the pregame playing of the national anthem. Comments could be heard on a live stream broadcast. In a video, the National Federation of High School Network announcing team could be heard making racist and hateful comments toward the Norman High School. The commentator, Matt Rowan, admitted to saying the racial slur heard in the video. He apologized, but cited his low blood sugar levels as a factor in his decision-making. Blame it on the diabetes, not the bossa nova. Dateline Miami, the teen who confessed to hacking Miami-Dade County Public Schools' online learning system in the fall, was sentenced this week to one-year probation. A judge required him to enroll in a program for troubled youth, agreed to withhold adjudication on him, who must attend counseling, do 30 hours of community service, write a letter of apology to students, teachers, and the school board. Reached the deal to avoid jail time. I would hope, young man, that you would use your computer smarts into doing something good in the future, said the judge. That's what I plan to do, Your Honor, said the uh, defendant. All this was a mistake on my part, he said. Access was blocked to use uh, one of the platforms the district was using. School officials called the eight different distributed denial-of-service cyber attacks. It's believed he wasn't acting alone. I didn't mean to cause harm, said Oliveros, to anyone indirectly or directly, and I apologize to my deepest condolences to everyone that has been affected by this in any way. Unquote. Meaning, he really should spend more time in school. New editor of Teen Vogue starts uh, next week. She's already issued two apologies, drawn the ire of her soon-to-be staff, advertisers, and celebrities. She uh, was appointed to lead uh, the magazine last week. She tweeted a lengthy apology addressing concerns over racist anti-Asian tweets she sent in 2011 and 2012. The apology followed one that she issued Monday over the same controversy. Dirty hands at Teen Vogue. Here's an apology from Miami Heat backup center Myers Leonard. Deeply sorry for using an anti-Semitic slur during a live screen yesterday. While I didn't know what the word meant at the time, my ignorance about its history and how offensive it is to the Jewish community is absolutely not an excuse, and I was just wrong. I promise to do better and know that my future actions will be more powerful than my use of this word. Myers Leonard, suspended by the NBA, fined for using a, an anti-Semitic slur, which he never would have done, ladies and gentlemen, if he'd been named Leonard Myers. That's just my supposition. The Apologies of the Week, copyrighted feature of this broadcast, you know that Texas Governor Greg Abbott has uh, called off the dogs, no more anti-masking man- masking mandate in uh, Texas, no more anything. It's wide open. And so wide open that the Attorney General is threatening to sue the city of Austin for maintaining a mask mandate. But uh, Governor Abbott 
remains undiminished and proud.
Well, Oh, I hate to talk over John Cleary. I thought this was going to be an instrumental cut. John, I owe you one, baby. One further um, apology of the week. Burger King was trying to support the uh, campaign to get more females into restaurant kitchens, and they put out an ad saying, women belong in the kitchen. And they're apologizing for uh, doing that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's enough for this edition of the show. Back next week at the same time over these same stations on radio and on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it'd be just like picking an instrumental next time if you'd agree to be with me then. Will you already thank you very much, uh huh? Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this broadcast, chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts, your chance to see the playlist of the music heard here on all at harryshearer.com and I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. See you at the store.